Sounds good. Well, church, several years ago, at the direction of our financial advisor, my wife and I did some end-of-life planning. We met with an attorney and created a will and a trust and assigned guardians for our children in order to ensure the care and provision for our loved ones in the event of our death. It wasn't a fun conversation, but it was a really important one. We spent a lot of time thinking about it, praying about it, because we knew that these documents would eventually serve as our final instructions in life. Our last directive of care for the people that we loved the most. Final instructions that we give before we die are incredibly significant. They express the truest desires of our hearts for what happens after we are gone. And today, as we continue in our sermon series, uh, where we are looking at the images that we are given in the scriptures that describe for us what the church is supposed to be, we come to the account of Jesus' crucifixion, where we receive his final instructions for us before he died. If you've ever been to our Good Friday service before, you know that there are seven last words that Jesus spoke from the cross before he died, as he was dying. But of those seven words, only one of them was an instruction, a command, a directive that he gave which was to be followed. And that word, in a profound way, has to do with the church, of who we are to be, and of how we are to live with one another in light of our relationship with Him. So that's what I want us to consider this morning. Last week we looked at the church as the bride of Christ, and we considered uh, how the imagery of marriage taught us something about our relationship with the Lord. This Father's Day, we are continuing with and expanding upon this familial theme as we talk about the church as the family of God and what that tells us about our relationships with one another. And so if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to open it with me to John chapter 19, verses 26 and 27, as we consider what it means that the church is like a family. In John chapter 19, uh, as Jesus was being crucified, he looked down from the cross and he saw both his mother and his disciple John standing nearby. Looking at the two of them as he died, Jesus said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And then to his disciple, he said, Behold your mother. Now, in this encounter, there are two profound implications of Jesus' instructions to his mother and the disciple that he loved. The first is a radical realigning of their identities and their allegiances. And the second is a profound instruction to care for one another. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. But first is the radical realigning of their identities and their allegiances. As Jesus looked down from the cross and saw his mother and the disciple that he loved standing nearby, he gave them each new identities and new allegiances 
by making them into a new family. We see that as Jesus said to his mother, but while speaking of John, woman, behold your son. And we see that as Jesus said to John while speaking of Mary, behold your mother. Now this is significant because Mary was not John's biological mother. And John was not Mary's biological son. Up to this point in their lives, they have not been a part of the same family. Something new is happening here. Jesus is realigning their allegiances. Redefining their identities. He is instructing them to reorient their very understanding of family. And of how they identify with one another and relate to one another based upon their relationship with Him. Because of their association with Jesus, those who previously were not family are now to become family. This is a radical reorientation that Jesus is calling them to as He dies upon the cross. As we look throughout the stories of the gospel and throughout the life of Jesus, we discover is that this wasn't only Jesus' dying command, but it was also His living reality. Early, earlier in His ministry, as recorded in Mark chapter 3, there was an occasion when Jesus' biological family tried to have an intervention with Jesus because they thought that He was crazy for all that He was doing, all the ways He was pouring Himself out and spending Himself for others. And so they went to Him and they called to Him. But in response to the message that His mother and brothers were outside wanting to see Him, Jesus replied, Who are my mother And my brothers. And looking at his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. He's saying that biological allegiances aren't our strongest ties, aren't our truest identifiers. But instead, our true family, those that we most closely identify to and relate with, are those who share our faith. Another time later in his ministry, as recorded in Mark chapter 10, Jesus was talking with his disciples uh, because they were anxious about having left everything in order to follow him. And at that time, Jesus assured them by saying, there is no one who has left house or wife, or brothers, or parents, or children, for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children in this life. Jesus was promising his disciples a family, one bigger than they had ever known. In his life and in his death, Jesus radically challenged our allegiances and reoriented our understanding of family. And it was upon the cross not long after Jesus had uttered these words of reorientation to his mother and the disciple that he loved that he made this reorientation into a reality. As Jesus died upon the cross, all of those who trusted in him became a part 
of his family. It's as we heard in our New Testament reading from Galatians that God sent his son into the world to redeem us in order that we might receive adoption as sons and daughters of God. Through his blood of the new covenant that was shed upon the cross, Jesus cleansed us and he covered us, allowing us to become children of God. Children born not of a natural descent, nor of a human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Jesus' death allowed us to become a part of God's family. And part of what's so profound about this idea of the church as a family, as compared to all of the other metaphors and images for the church that we have considered and that we will consider throughout the rest of this sermon series, is that this idea of the church as a family isn't actually a metaphor or an image at all. Instead, it is an actual reality. I mean, think about it. Last week we talked about the church as the bride of Christ. And, and the marriage metaphor is beautiful and it is helpful. Uh, but we know that it is ultimately only a metaphor. Because we're told in the scriptures that in the resurrection we will neither marry nor be given in marriage. So, so marriage is given to us as a great gift to explain and to image the union that we will one day have with God. But it is only an image. It's only a metaphor. It, there, it won't be marriage in heaven. It will be something far greater. The same is true with all of the other metaphors that the scriptures give for the church also. The church isn't an actual body. The body metaphor just helps us understand it and explain what we are to be. The church isn't actually going to be a temple. A temple language just helps us understand who we are and, and what we're to be about. The church isn't going to actually become a branch connected to a vine. That's just an image describing how we receive our sustenance from Christ. With all of the other metaphors that were given for the church, they are meant to help us understand and explain our relationship with Christ and with one another. But with the concept of family, it's different. The idea of the church as a family is not a metaphor. Jesus doesn't tell Mary to treat John like her son, or John to treat Mary like his mother. No, he says, here is your son. Here is your mother. Over and over again, when, when this description of our relationship with one another in relation to Jesus comes up, he doesn't say that we are like a family. He says instead that this is our family. Because of Jesus' death upon the cross in our new birth, God literally is our father. Jesus literally is our elder brother. We are literally brothers and sisters in Christ to one another. In fact, throughout the New Testament scriptures, this is the primary way that the apostles addressed the church. In the book of Acts, which is telling the story of the church to those who are not necessarily a part of the church, the followers of Jesus are prim primarily described as disciples. But in every other book of the New Testament after that, the books that are not telling the stories about the church, but are written as instructions to the church, the language is all familial. Paul and Peter and John and James addressed their letters and gave their instructions to brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers 
and to little children. This is who we are to be to one another. So I want to both challenge you and encourage you this morning by asking, is this how you see one another? When you look around this room, do you see mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters and children? Or do you just see good friends? Or even worse, mere acquaintances? I think this is incredibly difficult for us in our individualized Western world where we're told that we're not to depend upon anyone for anything. I think it's also incredibly difficult for us in our focus on the family Christianity where the biological family unit has been elevated to a place of idolatry, inadvertently leaving the rest of the body of Christ behind to suffer. In Christ, we've been brought together for so much more than that. We think about the joy of the best moments with your family and expand it further than you can possibly imagine. Jesus wants us to experience that with one another. He wants those who have it to share it. And he wants those who don't have it to experience it. By his death on the cross and in our relationship to him, Jesus has radically realigned our identity and our allegiances to one another. This is who we are to be in relation to him and to each other. It's the first point about what it means to be uh, that the church is a family is that there is a radical realigning of our identities and our allegiances. And that leads to the second point about the church as a family, which is the implications that we care for one another like a family. We see that this is the clear implication in our scripture from this morning, as just after Jesus reoriented Mary and John in their relationship to one another, we are told that from that hour, John took Mary into his own home. Trusting his mother into John's care was an odd choice for Jesus to make. Because Mary had other sons and daughters who could have cared for her. But we're told in Mark chapter 6 that Jesus had several brothers. James and Joseph and Judas and Simon. As well as at least two unnamed sisters. They would have seemed the natural, logical source of care for their mother in Jesus' absence. That's not who Jesus entrusts his mother to. Instead, he entrusts her to one of his disciples. He reoriented their allegiances towards one another and then entrusted them into each other's care. Just think about the implications that this has for our lives together. This was Jesus' plan for our guardianship. This was Jesus' plan for our elderly care. This was Jesus' plan for those who would be widowed. This is Jesus' plan for those who would be orphaned. This is Jesus' plan for those who would be single. This was His plan for those who would have no children. This was His plan for those who would experience divorce. This was his plan for those who would struggle with issues of sexuality that would make marriage difficult or impossible. 
This was his plan for new parents overwhelmed by their responsibilities of caring for their infants. This was his plan for parents raising challenging teenagers. This was his plan for teenagers dealing with frustrated, frustrating parents. This was his plan for the sick and his plan for the poor. This was his plan for the outcast. This was his plan for all who have any kind of need, which is all of us. His plan is that we would be a family to one another and would care like family for one another. I mean, just think about the fact that the final instruction Jesus gave to us before he died, his last directive of care for the people that he loved most, for you and for me, was that we are to be family to one another. This really matters to Jesus. And can you imagine what the church would look like if we actually took this seriously as John and Mary did? If within the community of faith, we treated older men as fathers and younger men as brothers, older women as mothers and younger women as sisters, If I viewed your children as mine and you viewed my children as yours. If we celebrated the joys in life like family and if we lamented the heartache in life like family. If we walked through difficult times and resolved conflict and disagreements like a family. Can you imagine the blessing that that would be to this church? To your life in this church? Can you imagine the witness that it would be to the world? Psalm 68 says that God places the lonely in families. Do you know how lonely our world is? It's dying in isolation and in loneliness right now. Can you imagine if the church could offer to the world a family? This is part of God's plan and purpose in the church. May we have the strength to seek it when we need it. And to offer it when we have it. So, woman, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. How are we doing in that? The disciple that Jesus loved did it. From that moment, he took Jesus' mother into his home as his own. Have you? Will you? Let us, church, honor Christ's final command before his death and truly be a family of God to one another. For his glory and for our good. Amen.